0: Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, August 26, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Walsh is running highlights from the CNN town halls with Bullock and de Blasio, Gabbard's primary challenger in the House, and Yang releases his climate plan. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Well, as he said he would, radio host and former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh has officially entered the Republican primary race for president. This is truly notable because only one other candidate, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, has actually taken this step. Some other folks have talked about it, but now the field of competitors vying for Trump's spot on the ticket is, in a way, much bigger. Here's a short clip of Walsh speaking with George Stephanopoulos on ABC's This Week on Sunday. Listen in, and Stephanopoulos speaks first.
1: Have you reached a decision? Yes, and it's great to be with you. Um, I'm going to run for president, and and I'm happy to be on your show announcing my candidacy. George, no surprise, we've got a guy in the White House who's unfit, completely unfit, uh, to be president, and it stuns me. THAT NOBODY STEPPED UP, NOBODY IN THE REPUBLICAN PARTY STEPPED UP, BECAUSE I'LL TELL YOU WHAT, GEORGE, EVERYBODY BELIEVES IN THE REPUBLICAN PARTY, EVERYBODY BELIEVES THAT HE'S UNFIT. HE LIES EVERY TIME HE OPENS HIS MOUTH. YOU SAY THAT, YOU SAY EVERYBODY BELIEVES HE'S UNFIT, BUT ONE OF THE
2: THINGS THE WHITE HOUSE POINTS TO, AND THE PRESIDENT POINTS TO OFTEN, IS JUST ABOUT EVERY POLL SHOWS MORE THAN
1: 80% SUPPORT FOR THE PRESIDENT AMONG REPUBLICANS. THEY DON'T HAVE AN ALTERNATIVE. I'LL TELL YOU WHAT, GEORGE, AND LOOK, I'M RUNNING BECAUSE HE'S UNFIT somebody needs to step up, and there needs to be an alternative.
0: Okay, so that's the core argument. Walsh is saying somebody's got to run against Trump and offer a mainstream conservative Republican alternative, and nobody is doing that. That does seem to ignore the fact that Bill Weld is already running to do basically that, but okay, that's fine. He still has a point that very few people have stepped up to challenge Trump in the primary. Now there are two. And there are certainly policy differences between Weld and Walsh. And if a Republican primary actually occurs, like, you know, with actual voting and actual turnout, I will be extremely curious to see how this notion of choice actually plays out. There is definitely a portion of the Republican Party that would prefer someone other than Trump. The size of that portion is up for debate. And even past that, the question then becomes, is Walsh a good choice or is Weld a good choice? Those are good questions, and ones that we will explore on this podcast in the future, now that there kind of is a Republican primary. So the next thing, as usual, is to listen to Walsh's initial campaign announcement video. It is titled, Be Brave. Listen in.
1: When I first started thinking about running for president, talking to my family, close friends, people I trust, I started hearing about all the things I needed to do to test the waters, Start an exploratory committee, hire a speechwriter, get an image consultant, all the, the practical steps that conventional candidates take. But these are not conventional times. These are urgent times. Let's be real, these are scary times. So the hell with all those conventional things. Today I'm declaring my candidacy for President of the United States because it's time, it's time to be brave. We have someone in the White House who we all know is unfit. Someone who lies virtually every time he opens his mouth. And someone who places his own interests above the nation's interest at every single turn. We cannot afford four more years of Donald Trump. No way. What cannot wait is all of us having the courage to finally say publicly what we all know privately. We're tired, we're tired of a president waking up every morning and tweeting ugly insults at ordinary Americans. We're tired of a president who sides with Putin against our own intelligence community. We're tired of a president who thinks he's above the law. We're tired of a president who's tweeting this country into a recession, and we're tired. We're so damn tired of a president who is teaching millions of American children every day that it's okay to lie and it's okay to be a bully. Enough. My name is Joe Walsh. I'm a former Republican congressman. I'm a conservative. I'm running because Donald Trump is not who we are. In fact, he's the worst of who we are. Sure, Trump and his people are going to attack us. That's gonna happen. It won't be easy. But you know, bravery is never easy. So let's make a statement. Go to JoeWalsh.org. Tell the world
0: that you're ready to be brave. Okay, so there's that. Now, the big problem for Walsh will be his past statements. He's said a bunch of stuff that can be used against him. But, you know, so has Trump. During the interview on This Week, Stephanopoulos went straight at that issue and cited some specific examples that might surprise you if you're not familiar with Walsh and his history and rhetoric. By the way, this clip actually cuts off abruptly at the end, and that's because ABC ended the clip that way. Okay, listen in.
2: Here's what the Washington Examiner, conservative Mm -hmm. uh, newspaper, said in response to your potential candidacy this week. There is the matter of his history of being Trumpier than Trump. He's made a living on peddling the same sort of demagoguery, conspiracy mongering, and right-wing bomb-throwing
1: for which he now condemns the president. Your response? I helped create Trump. And, George, that's not an easy thing to say. I, uh... Look, we were divided before Trump. I went to Washington eight years ago, the part of the Tea Party class, wanted to, to shake Washington up. I got involved in the battles. And there were plenty of times where I went beyond the policy and the idea differences. And I got personal and I got hateful. I said some ugly things about President Obama that I regret. And, and it's difficult, but I think, I think that helped create Trump. Um, and I feel responsible yeah, for You that. did provide aid and comfort for the
2: kinds of things he was saying. You yes. mentioned Obama. You called President Obama Muslim, an enemy, a traitor, and you often spoke out on racial themes I want to show a couple of <clears throat> tweets that you had uh... right there number one we lowered the bar for obama he was held to a low lower standard because he was black that was just in two thousand seventeen and then a few months after that not just president obama senator kamala harris said something really dumb meh if you're black and a woman you can say dumb things lowered the bar that is kind of textbook
1: racism and sexism Well, a- 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 again uh, the beauty of what President Trump has done is, George, he's made me reflect on some of the things I've said in the past. I had strong policy disagreements with Barack Obama, and too often I let those policy dig-
0: disagreements
1: get personal.
0: Now, there were two notable reactions to Walsh entering the race from his competitors. First came Weld, his primary competitor, who said, quote, I'm thrilled about Joe Walsh and Mark Sanford getting in. I think that's terrific. And it's going to be a more robust conversation. Who knows? Maybe the networks might even cover Republican primary debates. End quote. Yes, exactly. I agree. There is plenty of room here to have a discussion on the Republican side. Now, the second response I want to offer is the official statement from President Trump. His campaign's communications director gave a one-word statement to ABC News regarding Walsh's run. Quote, Whatever. Okay, you know, I'm old enough to remember when people dismissed a man named Donald J. Trump in exactly the same way. Picture this, you listen to a podcast every day to learn more about an election that won't happen for more than a year. And you probably do this because you care, because it matters. And honestly, sometimes the news you hear is not gonna make you happy. Some of it's gonna be stressful, and the entire thing, the entire election, is a huge question mark that will not be resolved until a year from November. So what do we do, my friends? What do we do in this strange circumstance? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I am using an app on my phone called Simple Habit. It helps me relax, it helps me take the edge off, and it helps me accept that this stress is alright. I can let go of it as long as I am aware of it. Simple Habit is free to use. You can download it and it's free. There are hundreds of sessions right in there for free. But there are thousands more sessions if you plop down just a few bucks. I want you to go to simplehabit.com ride. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a paid plan there will get 30% off. Now you gotta use that link. It's the first link in the show notes. Again, that is simplehabit.com ride to get the discount and let them know you came from this show. So one last time, the first 50 listeners who go to simplehabit.com slash ride are going to get 30% off. Okay, true story time. When I graduated from high school, I went down to the library and got a book on stock picking, and I picked a bunch of total jokers by following this weird, magical thinking strategy involving curves and the Dow and all this weird stuff. Anyway, my first five stock picks all went down the drain. And there is a lesson there. Do some research on an actual company rather than using some bizarre magic formula. And that's where My Wall Street comes in. My Wall Street does the research, and they tell you about stocks they think are solid and... Why? You get actual facts about actual companies. My Wall Street helps you enter the world of investing with a trustworthy partner at your side. Or if you're already there and you want some excellent research, this is the tool you need. So check it out. Election ride home listeners can access the entire My Wall Street app, all that research, for free, and use it for 30 days instead of the normal 7-day free trial. After a full month, you can stick with their expert guidance for just $9.99 a month. So visit MyWallST.com Slash ride to download the app now and get access to their market-beating stock picks and expert guidance. Again, that link is spelled mywallst.com slash ride. On Sunday evening, Montana Governor Steve Bullock and New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio spoke at CNN town hall events. The differences were clear. On issues like healthcare, gun safety, and rural versus urban voters, the two candidates found themselves on opposite sides of the spectrum, at least within the Democratic field. So, let's cover a few highlights from the events. First up, a moment from de Blasio that is trimmed down from a much longer answer. A student named Joy asked him the question, quote, wouldn't a guaranteed right to health care, including undocumented immigrants, only incentivize more undocumented immigrants to come to the United States, End quote. De Blasio thanked the student for asking the question and, in a gentle way, proceeded to reject its premise and explain what he called, quote, our actual reality, End quote. He went on to describe how President Trump's rhetoric around immigration creates a perception of immigrants as an invading force that somehow takes away from other citizens. de Blasio rejects that premise and gets into specifics about what he thinks the real
3: problem is. So, listen in. What we should do is make sense of this American reality. Rather than try to curse the darkness, let's light a single candle. And I say, not only do we need that comprehensive immigration reform with a pathway to citizenship, we also need a guest worker program to recognize that there's huge swaths of America do not have enough people to do work that's needed for our economy. And we could make sense of that with a guest worker program. And we could have an open and honest conversation. But to actually get to the heart of Joy's question, we have to acknowledge the really horrible politics underlying this. That for decades there's been an effort to demonize immigrants. It's been all about color. Remember, Donald Trump literally first day of his campaign attacked Mexican-Americans and described them as criminals, as an entire population. So this has always been about race, and it should not be, but it has been. If we recognize that there's many, many people in this country who happen to be American citizens, many of them happen to be white, who they themselves are legitimately struggling, their American dream's not working out, they're economically challenged. The next generation's not doing as well as I hope. They have a lot of debt. There's a lot of problems in their lives. They're frustrated. I don't blame them for being frustrated. But they've been told for years and years the immigrants did it to them. And I want to be blunt about it. The immigrants didn't do that to you. Wall Street did that to you. The big corporations did that to you. The guy in the kitchen or the guy in the fields didn't have the power to do that to you. Only those who had the power and the wealth could create an economy so unfair to working people and middle-class people. So once we unmask that truth, and I think we should all speak that truth with energy, then we can answer the rest of the equation. Why do I think it's important to give health care to human beings who are part of our communities? Because they're human beings. If you don't give them health care, They'll get sick, everyone else gets sick, and then they will seek health care where, what we talked about before, in the emergency room. And guess who's going to pay for it anyway? All of us. Why don't we stop the fiction and help our fellow human beings who are part of our American reality? To me, that
0: was the standout moment of the night across both events. de Blasio there is offering a clear explanation of the difference between human rights and civil rights. In de Blasio's view, healthcare is a human right. It is something you were owed by virtue of simply being human, regardless of what nation you're from. There is a clear distinction between de Blasio and Bullock on Medicare for All, which is one proposal for getting to a universal healthcare system in the U.S. very quickly. Bullock took a question about Medicare for All and said firmly that he opposed that system, but instead favored building on Obamacare by adding a public option. One of the specific reasons he cited for that preference was that he said Medicare for All would raise taxes. de Blasio mentioned that too, but he said Medicare for All would cut healthcare costs at the same time. An important moment from Bullock's time on stage was when CNN moderator Allison Camerota asked him if he might run for Senate in Montana, assuming the whole presidential thing didn't work out. After a long discussion of why Bullock felt his strengths were as an executive rather than a legislator, Camerota pushed him for a yes or no answer on whether he'd run for Senate. Bullock said, quote, That's an absolute no, end quote. And the last notable moment was when de Blasio responded to a question about the killing of Eric Garner and why it took five years to fire the police officer in question. De Blasio gave a detailed response, but it clearly didn't satisfy everybody in the New York City audience. One audience member yelled out a series of questions, asking why other officers hadn't been disciplined. After about a minute, that person appears to have been removed from the audience, and the town hall continued. Okay, listener question time, part two. This is the second half of the question from listener Whitney Joe that I started on Friday. Quote, is Tulsi's primary challenge going to affect her presidential run? And quote. Short answer, it's a big problem if she wants to be in Congress again. For the longer answer, we do need some context. Gabbard faces a primary challenge for her seat representing Hawaii's second district in Congress. That challenge is coming from Hawaii State Senator Kai Kaheli, and he's doing pretty well there raising money and gaining local endorsements. He is a veteran, like Gabbard, and he sees Gabbard as vulnerable for two reasons. First, some of her votes in the House aren't super popular back home, and second, she's on the national campaign trail rather than focusing exclusively on representing Hawaii. So Kaheli has this obvious angle, which is, you know, hey, I'm right here in Hawaii asking for your vote, but where's your current representative? That could be enough to make this primary competitive, but I haven't seen polling on that race yet, so it's a little bit too early to say. The big question remains whether Gabbard actually intends to run for the House again. That is not super clear to me. She has not been actively fundraising for that House run, although she could flip her presidential funding over to that if she wants to. Also, Hawaii does allow Gabbard to run for both President and House at the same time and appear on the ballot for both offices. So she can do that, and that's not a legal problem, unlike some other folks like Governor Jay Inslee, who couldn't run for governor and president on the same ballot, so he was forced to pick one. Gabbard's overall odds of winning the presidential race are pretty low right now. This is true of many, well, okay, most of the candidates in the field, and now she's got a probably viable competitor back home for that House seat. So I see this as a strategy problem for Gabbard. Her options are basically stick with the presidential run and double down on that bet, or take that presidential money, drop out, and roar back into Hawaii with that funding. She may be able to do that relatively late and still win that primary, and that might explain her current focus on the presidential run with the intent of giving it all she's got until she really cannot any longer. Obviously, there is always room for a third option, which is to do something I haven't thought about yet, like retire or run for a different office or whatever. There are many options open to Gabbard right now, though the two most obvious ones are the presidency or that house seat. And last up today, Andrew Yang has released his climate plan titled, quote, It's worse than you think, lower emissions, higher ground, end quote. That latter phrase, the higher ground part, refers to his comment during the debates that we are too late on climate change and need to move our population to higher ground. In this proposal, Yang doesn't take that bleak of a stance, but he does offer some pretty extreme policies to tackle climate change. The proposal is quite long, at about 48 pages when printed. It's more than 11,000 words long, which is even longer than Senator Elizabeth Warren's most recent proposal, which itself was her longest one yet. Now, I, for one, am in favor of long, detailed, footnoted proposals, especially ones like this that tackle the budgetary aspects. But I have to say, it is so much detail that it becomes hard to summarize. So I've got to pick out a few aspects that we can handle within the scope of this short show, and the link is in the show notes for the rest. It is detailed, though not as detailed as, say, Inslee's climate plans. A lot of it is fairly mainstream, like more electric cars and better building standards and building retrofits and all that stuff. But there are some other items there, too. The first thing that jumps out is an emphasis on nuclear power. Yang wants to build more nuclear plants as a bridge to get the U.S. off of fossil fuels. The logic there is, yes, nuclear waste is super bad, but given the current climate crisis, it's an acceptable alternative to adding yet more greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. I think that is exactly the kind of argument we would want to talk about in, oh, say, a climate debate or a climate forum in roughly one week from Wednesday. The other item that jumps off the page is a section labeled Emergency Options. It's way at the bottom. In this, we get at some real things that actual scientists and also science fiction writers have been talking about for decades, and Yang is saying them out loud as actual emergency options. I personally am glad that somebody at least is mentioning this stuff, though it is truly extreme and deeply experimental. Reading from the proposal, quote, While the above solutions are important to investigate and can bend the curve to give us more time or serve as a partial solution to the climate crisis, we should also prepare for the worst. There are feedback loops that we don't understand that could quickly lead to a catastrophic event. If it comes to that, we need to be prepared with options that have potential side effects that are more desirable than the alternative, climate collapse. Two primary ones to consider are space mirrors, yes, space mirrors and stratospheric aerosol scattering. Space mirrors would involve launching giant foldable mirrors into space that would deploy and reflect much of the sun's light. This method would be extremely expensive, which is why it should be investigated as a last resort. However, since we would be able to undo the mirror after deployment if needed, it's less permanent. Stratosphere aerosol scattering, on the other hand, would be a drastic response to the climate crisis. When volcanoes erupt, they spew sulfur dioxide into the sky and reflect sunlight particles away from the Earth. The massive eruption of Mount Pinatubo in 1991 was recorded to help push global temperatures down half a degree over the following two years. If scientists can find a way to burn sulfur in the stratosphere, then they could mimic the positive effects of volcano eruptions on climate change and their ability to help keep the Earth cool. Bill Gates has recently backed a study to explore the feasibility of this method, but there are many dangers to it, which is why it and other similar methods require research. End quote. So, yeah, points for including a kind of break glass in case of emergency set of options. Okay, so how much would the overall plan cost? Well, Yang puts it right up front and breaks it down by item. The total is $4.87 trillion over 20 years. Now that is a lot of money. That is objectively a whole lot of money. But to put it in perspective, it is a little over a third of what the U.S. plans to spend on the military during the same time period, assuming we don't cut that budget and there is zero inflation. So again, this is an extremely ambitious and costly program, but it's also an extremely difficult and costly problem. I look forward to hearing what the other candidates think about thorium reactors and space mirrors and aerosols in the atmosphere, because to be totally honest, those might be viable options at some point in this situation. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, long show today. I'm going to let you stop listening in just a moment. But one note, tomorrow will be our 100th show. I can't wait to see where we will be at 200, and in the meantime, I am going to take a nap. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.